So am I the only one that started running out of air about halfway through that last song? <laughs> There's nothing like a worship song to let you know you don't work out quite as much as what you think you do. <laughs> Amen. Loved it. So we are exactly 53 days away from one of my favorite holidays in the year, Thanksgiving. Amen. I don't know if it's the food or the parade or the traditions. I don't know if it's the, you know, football or being together with family or maybe it's a combination of all of it. All I know is Thanksgiving is awesome. It's great. In fact, every couple of years, we try to get the entire Godhart family together and kind of celebrate Thanksgiving as a family. And it's a wonderful time. It's brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and in-laws and outlaws. It's, it's the whole gang. We all come together. And I've actually got a picture of the whole Godhart group, if we can bring that up for just a moment. Now, this is a picture that was taken just a couple of years ago while my parents were still alive. It's one of the last pictures that we got a chance to take as a whole family. Now, it's hard to see it from here, but my dad is given the distinctive Godhart picture face. And, and what I mean by that is you never want to look overly excited, otherwise people keep taking pictures of you. Right. Amen. Amen. You understand, Kim. I get it. I get it. All right, so if you've lived away from your family for any period of time and you've come back together to kind of spend some time together, you know that being with family, it progresses through a number of stages. And the first stage that always happens is the hugging, great to see you stage. That's a noisy stage that happens in most homes. Bria excels at that stage <laughs> because of her hugging. Don't think it's because of the noise side. Don't, don't think that at all. No, then there's also the catching up on everything that's happening stage. Now, this is one of the fascinating parts of family. Everybody is talking at the same time, and yet somehow people still know what's going on. It needs to be like a study in sociology. Like, how does that happen apart from a miracle? I don't know. Then there is the reminiscing old stories stage. You have to rehash the classics. You have to go back and kind of share some stories from childhood Here's one of those fun things that happened on vacation. Always got to bring up, you know, like Uncle Larry's 1987 Christmas debacle. That's a good one to bring up. You, you got to go back and share the old stories again. Now, granted, every year that you share the stories, they become a little bit more exaggerated than the year before. But that's okay. Your family, everybody knows the truth. It's a, a part of the experience. But somewhere, <laughs> apparently uh, Harold is the exaggerator in this whole thing. <laughs> I think that was Harold that I heard. But anyway, so at one point along the way, usually at the end of the first evening, there is the every object holds a memory stage. And for me, this was one after being away from family for so long that was always a, a piece that just kind of grabbed my attention. Uh, my parents had a sunroom on the back of their house. And in that sunroom was a six-person table. And it was the dining room table that we had all growing up. And as soon as I would see the table, my mind was flooded with memories. I could picture the wood grain in the table, scratches on the table, dents in the chairs. We had birthday parties around that table. We celebrated holidays at the table. I did my homework there. We put puzzles together there. 
I can still clearly and distinctly remember my dad sitting at the end of that table writing out his tithe check before going to church on Sunday. There's memories that come with objects. I just happened to grow up in one of those homes where it seemed like a lot of those objects that were around had great memories attached to it. A lot of those objects are now in our house right here. Um, also, my brother and sisters ha have some of those pieces as well. Last couple of weeks as I've been taking things out of storage and kind of getting them positioned in a new home, it's almost like a walk down memory lane. Every piece has memories attached to it. Now, I don't know whether or not it's the fact that my memory's just not as great as it used to be, or whether or not it's one of those things that I've blocked out the difficult memories and highlighted the good points, but as honest as I can be, I don't have bad memories of home. What a blessing to be able to say that. I know that a lot of people don't have that same opportunity. But for me, I don't have bad memories of growing up at home. In fact, when I look back, I'm overwhelmed by how blessed I was to live in my father's house. Let's connect that into our series this morning. Today is the second to the last message in our Engage series. And we're talking about how we, as a church family, as a body, how do we come together to collectively and effectively make Christ known among the nations? Each week, we're talking about different pieces of the mission that we need to be united on. We need to be on the same page on. We need to be together in these particular issues. And today, we're talking about living together in our Heavenly Father's house. We're talking about what that is supposed to look like. Now, here's a statement. It's, it's new in my mind. It's one that God has birthed in this last week as I was in the study. But here's the statement he's been working into my heart. Dysfunction in the family creates distraction from the mission. Let that sink in for just a moment. Dysfunction in the family, dysfunction in the home, it, it creates distraction from the mission. When the church is experiencing true biblical community, it is incredibly attractive to those who are not in the church. When, when people look around, it needs to be that there's something that is attractive about the way a believer lives. As we're living on mission with God, here's a thought that I want you to always walk with. It's not only who are we reaching out to, but what are we reaching out from? Does that make sense? Are we reaching out from a healthy, strong, relationally connected church family? Are, are we loving people the way that Jesus wants us to love them? Are we spiritually and emotionally and relationally stable? Are we going through and walking biblically and united in our decisions. Here's a thought that grabbed me this last week. If God were looking for a church in southwest Georgia to drop off 300 baby Christians, 500 hurting Christians, two to 300 seekers, which sure would be a good fit. Would it be a safe place now, if you're wondering about the connection on that, think about your own kids. Let's say, for example, you're needing to drop them off at 
childcare somewhere and you walk in and I mean there's things being thrown and there's people climbing the walls and everybody is in chaos and you're thinking to yourself, I am not leaving my kids here. Could you imagine what it's like for our Heavenly Father? As he has his most precious commodity in his children. And he's, he's placing them in different bodies all around the country and all around the world. If he wants to put more people in the church body, is this a good fit? Now, here's some wonderful news I get to share with you today. Sherwood is a healthy, strong church. I praise God for that. But healthy, united, strong churches do not get there by accident. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of time and focus that makes sure that the church body is loving each other well and walking together in unison and serving each other and caring for each other's needs. So the question that we're dealing with today is, how do we keep that going? How does the church body get stronger? How do we love each other in even a greater capacity than what we're doing today so that, as our Heavenly Father is saying, I've got some people I need to bring. They're going to be taken care of here. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that one day, whether or not God tarries or whether or not he calls us home, one day we turn around and we look back after five years, 20 years, 50 years of being in this church, and every single person here is able to say, I'm overwhelmed by how blessed I was to live in my father's house. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today, Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're in verses 19 through 22. And I'm addressing the topic of engage the family. Engage the family. Verse 19 and following. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into this text May your spirit guide us into all truth, and may we receive exactly what you intend for it to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've not been in the book of Ephesians in a while, let me kind of give you a little bit of a connection on the first two chapters. In chapters 1 and 2, there's a parallel account that takes place about salvation. In chapter 1, the plan of salvation is seen from God's perspective. That is, it begins with God's grace and it culminates in Christ being the head over all things, which is the church, that is, his body. The church is compared in chapter 1 to a body of which Christ is the head. Now when you go into chapter number 2, the plan of salvation is presented from our perspective. It shows how we transition from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. It shows how God's people are gathered together, not only in a body, but now there's a new concept that Paul shares in chapter 2. When they come together, they gather as family in the household of God. That's what we're dealing with today. We're asking this one basic question as we work our way through those verses. What does it look like to live together in our Father's house? So here's the first truth that I want you to see. We are no longer strangers. We're family 
Verse number 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There's a new identity that now enables this new relationship. Who you were prior to Christ is no longer who you are. Who you were prior to Christ is no longer who you are today. Now, prior to Christ, we were strangers and aliens to God's covenant people, the Jewish people. We were cut off from the promises. We were cut off from God. In fact, it says we were without God in this world, chapter 2, verse number 12. But now because of Christ, we are fellow citizens with the saints. Now we are together as a family. If we truly believe what that verse teaches, we are not just friends who happen to go to the same church. If we truly believe what that verse teaches, we are not just like-minded people who are gathering in the same place. We are family. And there is a beauty, and there is a depth, and there is a connection that comes with family that is beautifully when it happens according to God's design. Now, while I was growing up, my mom always had a camera somewhere in her hand. And it didn't matter what was going on, chances are she wanted to get a picture of it. And that was kind of back at the time when she had like one of those flash cubes that would sit on the top of your camera, that every time it went off, it would burn your retinas for like 20 minutes after every shot. Those things were horrible. So that's the reason I don't have great eyesight to this day. I think it was because of those flash cubes. But anyway, <laughs> she was always taking pictures. And what would happen is we would be somewhere, and she would tell all of us as a family, like, you all go stand in front of that tree. And we'd go stand in front of the tree. And, of course, when you're there with your brother, there's like this much distance between you and your brother. And here's what she would say every time. Scoot together. You're not strangers. You're family. How many of you ever shared that with your kids? I think that's the exact same sentiment the Apostle Paul is trying to get across in this verse. They needed to stop thinking in terms of strangers. They need to start thinking in terms of family. In Old Testament times, if Gentiles lived among God's chosen people, the Jews, they were known as strangers within the gates. And that is, they were not necessarily pushed away, but they were not necessarily brought in to any level of depth. And the Apostle Paul was continuously going back and challenging that notion through the New Testament. He was continuously telling people, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, you're family. Let's start acting like a family. A number of years ago, I got a call from a friend of ours, a pastor of ours, who had moved back out to the Atlanta area. They were still trying to sell a home out in Vegas, and they got a call from their real estate agent that somebody had decided to use their backyard as a dumping grounds for everything they didn't want. And I drove over to his house, and I looked in the backyard, and I kid you not, it was a mess. There was a king-size mattress and the accompanying box springs to go with it. There was an old recliner back there. There was lawn furniture back there. There was boxes of clothes. There was trash and debris. You name it, somebody just decided since they're no longer here and I don't want to go to the landfill, I'm just going to load it up in that person's backyard, filled their backyard with all this trash. Well, on that particular morning, I was going to a men's prayer breakfast. I got there and somebody asked me, 
how's the week going? I just shared, I just came from this guy's house, and it was mind-boggling to me. And he said, well, let's grab some guys together and go clean that up. And right afterwards, we shared with some people, and after this, the breakfast was over with, a bunch of dudes grabbed some trash bags and a lot of pickup trucks, and we loaded it all up, took it to the landfill. It was done. It was easy. It was like an hour or so, something like that. Here's the thing. Did you know we did not form a committee? That's a dangerous word in a Baptist church. We didn't form a committee to study waste removal and its impact on the body of Christ. We didn't wait for somebody else, here it is, when you're spiritual, to be prompted by God to go handle it. No, we just got some dudes together with some pickup trucks and we handled some business. Why? That's what family does. Family takes care of each other. It, family handles those types of things. This last week, I'm so glad to see Mr. Corey over here today. This last week, amen. I, I, got a, I got a link for the meal train for the Clear family. And, and here's what's happened. Some of you know, many of you might not know, but Corey's been in the hospital 11 to 12 days, and another family in the church saw a need figured out a way to address the need in order to love and to bless the clear family. Hey, that's the body being the body. That's what family does. Family takes care of each other. Every week, there's a whole group of people that are back there taking care of your children while you're in the service. That is a wonderful, incredible gift. You know when it is that parents get really, really excited about children's ministry? When we do a special event and your children are sitting in your lap for the whole service. After it's over with, people like running back the next week, offering their children back there. Can I bring you coffee? Can I give you donuts? Like all of a sudden people recognize what an incredible ministry that people have. By the way, they need help. Amen. Hey, and, and, and let's go beyond that. They don't just need help. They need people who love children and are willing to say, I'm going to invest in these children's lives because I get a chance to help shape their future for tomorrow. We, we have a service early, 745, a group that comes and prays over the services on Sunday morning. By the way, there's opening for you there too. 745 a.m. Be here. We're going to pray. What are we praying for? We're, we're asking God to work in hearts and minds. We're asking God to build marriages. We're asking God to do the miraculous. We're asking God that his spirit would rest heavy on the hearts of people. We're asking God that he would save people. We're asking God that others would go forward in baptism. We're asking God to move. We've made this statement before. Prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. And if we truly believe that, we get an opportunity to serve the body in praying for others. We have so many areas that people are serving in. We have people setting up for the services on Sunday. We got other people who take down after the services are done. We have people who are running cameras and sound and play music and greet people and fix things that are broken. We have people making coffee and biscuits on Sunday. Thank you, Jesus, for that. 
We have people that are teaching connect groups and those who are leading ministries and those who are serving in the community. We have so many people that are serving. For just a moment, if you serve in any capacity at Sherwood, lift your hand where you're at. Look around, look around. That's a part of why it is the body of Christ is strong here. Why? Because it takes work to make a house into a home. When you want to love people well, it takes a lot of hands in the mix. It takes a lot of people using the gifts that God has given them. We get an opportunity to love each other, to serve each other, to work with each other. Here's just a thought. Biblical community should not have to be scheduled. When we love God and we love people, you find ways to be with them and you find ways to serve them. Now, I gave a few of those examples a moment ago for two reasons. First, I want you to know some of the specific ways that people are serving and caring for each other's family right here. The second reason I bring that up is because different people do different things. God never intended for everyone to do everything. We have different gifts. We have different time constraints. We have different abilities, different passions. So while everyone cannot be involved in everything, everyone should be involved in something. It's a part of how God has wired the family. Now that's the longest of our points here, but here's the next two. What does it look like to live together in the Father's house? We are blessed with stability because of a solid foundation. Blessed with stability. Verse number 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Over the years, I've given this statement multiple times. One of the greatest blessings that you can give your kids is a godly heritage and a stable home. Godly heritage and a stable home. Live a consistent, godly example before your kids and at the same time provide as much stability as you possibly can. Over the years, as 20 plus years of being a counselor and a pastor, I can testify to the fact that many of the relational problems, the marriage issues, poor decisions, financial mistakes, all of those things can often be linked back to there not being a godly example in the home or there being great instability in the home. Now, I bring that up because in verse number 20, we find the Apostle Paul helps us to see that the house of God, the family of God, is blessed with an incredibly strong, stable foundation. In fact, let's talk about this foundation for just a moment. The strength and the durability of any building is resting on the foundation. The use of the word foundation directly after talking about God's household is something where Paul is wanting us to see that God's household, his family, his church has a strong, stable foundation. And because of the strength of this foundation, God's family can endure whatever storm comes, it can face what other challenges are before it. It can handle those types of things because there is stability that God has put in place. Pause there for just a moment. We live in one of the most chaotic, crazy times in human history right now. Everywhere you look is instability. Everywhere you look, the foundations are shaking. Old Testament, it said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
Part of what the righteous do is they go back before God and say, God, help us to rebuild the strong foundations that our families need for the future. But it should be in a world of instability that the church is a beacon of stability. When others are saying, I just want something stable. I want it where some people are going to love each other. I want it where people are going to respect each other. I want it where people are going to serve each other. It should be that they say, where can I find that? Ah, the local church is exactly where I find that at. It's attractive when the church is operating as a family. So it talks about this foundation. According to Paul, there was a foundation that is built upon the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We've talked about the apostles and the prophets in previous weeks. I'm not going to go back and recap that right now. But I want to be really, really careful so that we know what he is not saying in the text. Paul is not saying that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation. He's saying the apostles and the prophets were used by God to help lay the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul said, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Everything is resting upon him. In fact, even in this text, he's referred to as the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone was a stone that was used in the foundation, and it was hewn, and it was cut first. The, the cornerstone is one in which all of the corners, the planes, the angles were all aligned to this one particular stone. It had to be strong enough to support the structure. It had to be precise enough and laid exactly right because everything else in the structure was oriented back to the cornerstone. Are you all seeing the connection here? Everything in the household of God is oriented back to Jesus, who is the cornerstone. And he is perfect, and he is true, and he is right. Hey, so what have we kept talking about? Know Christ, make him known. Know Christ, make him known. When the people of God are pursuing Jesus, here's what happens. It builds us together closer as a family. Sometimes people wonder about, like, if I've got a church growth plan. Here's my church growth plan. Preach and pursue Jesus. What other plan do you have? Because any other plan that he is not the one we're pursuing on the other side, somebody gets the glory apart from him. But when we're pursuing him, it brings us together as a church family. He's the cornerstone. Here's the last one. We are being transformed together by a loving father. Verses 21 and 22. It says, In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I want you to notice the word together is mentioned twice. We are being fitted together, verse 21, and we are being built together, verse number 22. It is extremely important for everybody to hear the next distinction I'm about to make. All right? Everybody focused? I see a lot of people looking this way. Praise God, that's a step in the right direction. Okay, very important. There's a part of your relationship with Christ of which you alone are responsible to make sure it goes right. Okay? I cannot do your quiet time for you. 
I, I can't read the Bible for you. I can't pray for you. I, I can't do those things. There's a part of your walk with Jesus that is personal. You have to pursue it yourself. And it has to be that somewhere along the way, he becomes your greatest desire so that the pursuit's not hard. It's like you wake up in the morning, you're like, I get a chance to be with Jesus today. But there's another part of your development in Christ that only takes place in community with other believers. That's a part of what this text is telling us. Just as much as God is molding our character personally, he is also fitting us together corporately. Proverbs tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. God uses different perspectives and different gifts and different abilities to knock the rough edges off of each other. It's oftentimes the teaching of one, or maybe it's the service of another, or it's the giving of a third, or, or maybe it's the mercy of a fourth, whatever it might be, but God uses the giftings in the body in order to fit us together and to build us into the holy temple of God. Now, the text tells us we're being fitted together and we're being built together. This is another reason why the Bible tells us to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Not only do we miss some of the benefits of family, but we miss a part of the transformation that God intends for our lives. Now, I am absolutely grateful for online streaming, absolutely grateful for digital mediums that allow us to be able to stay connected when we're sick, when we're traveling, or when we're facing unforeseen circumstances. I'm grateful on all of that. I'm grateful for the team that is tirelessly going through and making sure that the videos are strong quality. I'm grateful for everything that's happening there. But that should be seen as a temporary fix, not a permanent solution. There's a part of our growth that only happens together with other believers. And we got a major wake-up call on this in 2020 and 2021. I don't know if you all experienced the same thing, but when people began to come back in person after having to be at home, you know, stay at home, shelter at home orders, and they're back in person again, I cannot tell you how many times I had somebody come up to me after a service with tears in their eyes. They would say, I had no idea how much I was missing by not being in the room. And, and the only way I can explain it is like this. It's like watching your family reunion on video. You know the basics of what's going on, but you don't have those interactions yourself. You, you, you miss a part of it when you're not in the room. Your connection within the local church is an essential aspect of your development as a disciple. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I, I know, I know. Everyone in the South is taught from the time they're in the cradle, you need to be in church. And you know what that translates as a lot of times in people's minds? The church wants something from me. I get it. I understand. But when we understand God's development of our lives as a disciple, you recognize it's not that the church wants something from you. The church wants something for you. The church wants you to experience the fullness of what it looks like to walk as a disciple of Christ. 
There is a part of your growth with Jesus that only happens in community with other believers. It only happens when you're utilizing your gifts in service within the body. Now, according to this text, it tells us that we are to go through and we're being fitted together into a dwelling of God. Listen, in the Spirit. Fitted together. God is developing us together. He's growing us together. We're going on a journey together. Now let's pause for just a moment. There is a tendency for us to get frustrated because we want God to complete his work today. God, get after my kids today. I need you to change that coworker. They go to the same church. Change them today. God, would you do a work here? I need it. I, actually, yesterday is preferable, but today. I'll accept today. We want God to do it today. But listen, according to this, he is fitting us together. He's building us together. It, it is an ongoing process that God is working through. But even when God seems silent... It's not that he stopped working. God is working from the inside out. He's, he's doing the work deep within the heart. He's knocking off the rough edges there. Now, this is going to be challenging, but it's a good verse to remember. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. Where did he begin the work? In you. It's hard to see God's work in that other person. Here's the thing, though. What happens on the inside will always come on the outside. But we will reverse it. We, we get frustrated because we want all the change to happen. And we're looking for all the outside stuff right now. Did you know someone can white-knuckle their way through some right decisions and fool you into thinking there's an inside change when it's only some outside decoration? Amen. You don't want that person to kind of fake it till they make it. You want God to do that deep work inside. Because when he does the work, it's always going to be manifested on the outside. If we try to change the outside, it rarely works its way to the inside. It needs to be character developed, not, not sin management. So what does it look like to live together in the Father's house? we got three statements out of this section. We're no longer strangers. We're family. We're blessed with stability because of a solid foundation. And we are being transformed together by a loving Father. Here's what we have. We have a family that is blessed with stability. A Father who deeply loves and develops his kids and an opportunity to grow and to learn together. What a blessing it is to be a part of our Heavenly Father's house. Amen. So here's my questions as we close. Are you engaged in the family? Has God put a certain set of gifts and abilities and talents in your heart that he wants you to utilize within the family he's placed you in? How does God want to use you to bless somebody else? 
If you see a need in the church family, don't wait for somebody else to address it. If you see the need, it could be because God placed you there to see what you needed to see so that you could be a part of that solution. Do you see people in the family that are hurting, that are broken? When the family hurts, everybody hurts. It's an opportunity for others to come alongside and to love well and to love back to health and to serve each other. If word gets out that there is a place in an unstable world where people can be loved and cared for and encouraged and equipped to live a life that is strong and one of excellence, if there's a a time that word begins to get out, that when you show up at this place, these people are alive with the Spirit of God. Marriages are being healed. Addictions are giving way. Chains are falling off. Kids are coming back into the family. If word gets out that God is actively moving in this place, we won't be able to hold them all. It's not only who are we reaching out to, but what are we reaching out from. We get an opportunity to love each other well and by the Spirit of God and the grace of God to be a part of helping keep and further develop an unbelievably healthy church family right here. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads for prayer for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. I recognize that everybody is at a different point in their life. Everybody is wrestling through different things. But it might be today that you just need to come and let somebody know, I've got a problem, I've got a burden, and I'm not sharing it with anybody because I was afraid of what somebody might think or say. You can share those things with family. Our pastors are going to be at the ends of each of these different aisles in just a moment. And as they're down there, it might be that you need to come and say, I've been attending Sherwood for a while and praying about whether or not this is the place I'm supposed to be. And maybe today God has confirmed that this is where you are to plant your life, plant your family, bring all of, all of who God has made you to be and use it in his service right here at Sherwood. If that's the case, come and share with someone. I'd like to know more about what it means to be a member. It might be that there's a particular prayer burden that's on your heart. It might be that right now you might say, I don't even think I'm in the family of God, and I want to make sure that that's right today. Come talk to one of these pastors. Take them by the hand. Just say, I need to know more about a relationship with Jesus. I, I know sometimes it can be scary for somebody to come and to walk down the end of an aisle. We recognize that. There's also an opportunity right after the service to go to the Connect Center outside and, and you can talk to people out there. It, we we want to make sure that we're not creating other barriers that are hard for people to walk through. But there's some people that right now, in this moment, they're like, I got to talk to somebody now. And that's the reason we want to make sure we have pastors that are available to talk at this point. So we're going to have a word of prayer. Our pastors will be in place. I'm just going to encourage you in this final time of invitation, 
respond as God is prompting you. For those of you that have been a part of Sherwood for a while, continue to pray for unity in this church. God has blessed us with that. Don't ever take it for granted. Let's continue to pray that God develops his family. He brings more who are called to be right here. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. But through you, all things are possible. So Lord, I pray today that you would direct those who are here, whether it is to share what's on their hearts so that the family can walk through it together with them. Whether or not it's to join in right here at Sherwood and to be a part of the family, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would allow this to be a time that they respond in obedience to how your spirit is prompting and moving. Well, thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we pray?